Hi, this is Patty Lapone. This is Allison Janney. This is Matt Balmer. This is Donna Murphy. This is Nia Vardalis. This is Jesse Tyler Ferguson. This is Beanie Feldstein. I'm Octavia Spencer. This is Ben Platt, and you're listening to Little Known Facts with my favorite person on the planet, Alana Levine. A-OK. Welcome to Little Known Facts, a podcast where you will hear unfiltered, raw, honest, and uniquely funny interviews with artists you love as they talk about the art they love to make. I'm your host, Ilana Levine. You know, some people enjoy composing their own music, chord by chord, and others are happiest when they come across that one perfect song. Work is not a lot different than that. Whether you prefer building your own workflow or using a pre-made template, with Monday.com, you and the team can work in a way that's comfortable for everyone. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com and build your own amazing workflow or find an awesome template. No judgment. Hey, I heard you needed inspiration. He's a lot of end friends with some revelations. Little known back to the day. Every little thing's gonna be a-okay. known fact about my guest today, he started his professional career at Disney, and now he is one of the most sought-after Broadway stars. Will Swenson, welcome to the podcast. A-OK. A-OK. Hey, everyone. My guest today is the Tony-nominated actor Will Swenson. On Broadway, he has performed in Waitress, Les Miserables, Hair, 110 in the Shade, Priscilla, Queen of the Desert, Brooklyn, the Musical, and Lestat. Off-Broadway most recently, he starred in the classic stage company revival of Assassins. He performs in concerts all over the world. He is married to actress Audra McDonald, and recently it was announced that Will is going to star in A Beautiful Noise, a musical about the life of the singer-songwriter Neil Diamond, directed by Michael Mayer. I'm so thrilled to welcome Will Swenson to the podcast. So the last time I saw you, um, I saw you, but you did not see me because I had the privilege of seeing Assassins um, just a few weeks ago uh, yeah. toward the end of the run. And oh, my God. <laughs> That's my review. Oh, That's your review. Oh, my God. <laughs> my God. Um, your Charles Gateau uh, was perfect. You are perfect. Um, oh, That's what I want to say. Thank you. It was a privilege to be a part of that that production. It was an amazing cast, and and it was an amazing time to be doing a Sondheim show, and uh, I was really grateful. Every single one of you in that cast um, reinvented a role that that some of us were really familiar with, but magically made it completely their own. Um, and so I just wanted to ask you, like, how familiar? Oh, and sidebar, Sondheim was at your opening night at yeah. Judy's house. So how amazing that you guys got to have that. Tell me what your relationship to this piece was um, before you dug in, you know, and started rehearsing it in earnest yourself. Um, I discovered it while I was in college. Um, just It was just a few years after it had come out and I discovered the cast recording and, and sort of fell in love with it because it's just so many juicy characters. And I even remember doing I Am Unworthy of Your Love in a musical scene study class. 
um, and was just kind of crazy about it. I, and we had to we had to investigate as assignments different shows so that we would, you know, kind of have more knowledge in our heads about the musical theater world. And that was one of mine. So I remember writing a little paper about it and kind of doing a, a synopsis, which is hilarious to try to, to summarize assassins because story is kind of the last item on the agenda of that show um it's kind of more of an idea uh forward musical but anyway um so that was my introduction to it and i clocked it over the years um and i i saw the revival at the roundabout in 2004 ish um which was an incredible revival and um and just remember thinking uh, there are like 27 parts in this show and I want to play them all. <laughs> so when the call came to play guitar, I was like, yes, no question, no questions asked. And then they told me the cast and I said yes, 27 more times. It was just, just really uh, lucky. Well, the reason I'm sort of harping on, on that production is, is one of the reasons that you're here today is, is to announce to the world that there's going to be a cast recording that, that people are going to get to have in their ears kind of soon, hopefully. Yeah, I don't know when the release is, but, um, but yeah, thank goodness. I'm so happy we got a cast recording. Um, yeah, we recorded it about a month ago, and um, I, I, I'm super, super happy that we were able to... Uh, to record it for posterity in particular because of the new arrangements that we had our our music director greg jarrett did these amazing americana arrangements with all kinds of new um banjo and fiddle and accordion and just you know sondheim brilliantly wrote every song in a different american musical style and um i feel like these uh arrangements really honor that that idea and boy are they beautiful had you been in the presence of or worked with Stephen Sondheim before this production? I had met him uh, a couple of times at different, you know, functions. Um, and did you but, talk to him at those functions a little yeah, bit? Yeah, lucky enough, lucky enough. I mean, I'm, I'm married to a fancy lady um, and Audra has sung uh, a lot of his, his pieces uh, for him over the years and at his birthday concerts and things. And because I'm often at her side, I've been able to kind of shake his hands as they caught up. And so I, I met him socially a few times and got to chat with him, um, you know, briefly each time. Uh, this was the first time that he's been in the room in a creative capacity with a project that I'm doing of his. And, and it was a thrill. It was, you know, one of those bucket list life, uh, check that item off the list and I can, I forever have that now <laughs> kind of thing. Literally pretty, pretty like, like, I mean, at the last possible moment that that could happen. I mean, it's the timing yeah. of it is sort of, it's so beautiful that company yeah. and your show were, I mean, obviously he had productions going on all over the world on any given day, but that West Side, Jamie Bernstein was just on the podcast and talking about the West Side Story experience with him. Uh -huh. um, uh -huh. And then for you guys in, in the room, um, was he an active participant during rehearsal? Did you get to talk to him specifically about your part or your work or what was that like? Um, not a ton. I mean, he was pretty frail there in the last last couple of years of his life. Um, but a couple of times he would kind of beam in via via cameras and um, and he'd give notes. And uh, so we, we got to work with him creatively that way. But um, but unfortunately, he wasn't able to sort of, you know, zip uptown and zip downtown to rehearsals kind of a thing. Yeah. But, but he was involved and did have input. Yeah. And you guys were rehearsing. I mean, you know, this podcast will be 
in the world forever, but we're speaking in March of 2022, where the mask mandate in our lives has sort of just been removed like two seconds ago. And we'll <laughs> see for how long that's true, but you were, um, you were a COVID production. You had to shut down and delay because of COVID and yep. rehearse under COVID restrictions, um, or, or maybe that's not the right word, COVID people trying protocols. to keep you safe protocols. Yep. Thank you. What yep. I didn't know in researching you, I went down like a Charles Gateau rabbit hole. And then <laughs> I came back up to, to Will Swenson in uh, <laughs> Priscilla, Queen of the Desert, two very different people. Um, but I didn't realize going to the Lordy, that song was a poem he had written that he held in his hand on the day. Yep. Can you just tell yeah. people what you know yeah. about that? Yeah, pretty crazy. I mean, he was he was a nut in a hundred different ways. Uh, um, almost certainly bipolar and and probably mm -hmm. schizophrenic. Um, some people think he suffered from neurosyphilis because um, he did frequent prostitutes. Um, but yeah, he was completely narcissistic and was convinced that everyone was just so in love with him because he had done this great service to the country of killing the president. And um, and he wrote this song and. Um, and uh, he sang it to them on the scaffolding with this piece of paper. And um, one thing actually that I tried in rehearsal that he did is um, back in the late 1800s, there was a quite a, a religious revival um, fervor in particularly in upstate New York where he kind of was from and spent a lot of time. And when pastors, and he fancied himself a bit of a, of a minister, when they would um, want to demonstrate to their their parishioners that they were feeling the spirit they would speak in a high-pitched like little boy voice is kind of how it was described and so when he said he sang this i am going to the lordy he did it in a in a like a high-pitched falsetto voice like i am going to the lordy i am so glad and that was supposed to indicate that he was touched by the spirit so in rehearsals i tried to sing the beginning of the song in this voice and it was so weird and, and i tried it for so long and in the end it just was it was too bizarre nobody would have known what i was doing but anyway See, in, in, out in, of in context real, out of context exactly right. if people had known that piece of you know historical information and that might have made a little more sense but i think it probably would have just been like what is he doing i don't understand it now i'm not concentrating on the show anymore kind of a choice um, but well, at any I rate, feel um, so lucky we just got to hear even like the first couple of sentences in that voice. And I think if there are voiceover casting directors listening who do like kid shows, you just got yourself a series, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I hope not. That would be a creepy series. <laughs> but just being a little kid, I'm Dora or something like that. Um, <laughs> okay. When you have kids, that's all they want. Like they want their parents to be in things that are for them. <laughs> I don't know if my kid would like it if I was in their shows. We showed our daughter Sally uh, the episode of Sesame Street the other day that that Audra was in, um, and she she was not that impressed. Really? <laughs> was, was she annoyed that like her mom was on? Like that? That's my show, mom. I think she more just like wanted to go hang out with the chickens that Audra was singing with and, and was less interested in the fact that it was really cool that her mom was singing on Sesame Street. But I bet for Audra, I feel like that's a career highlight. Like these things that, that, you know, were such a part of our own childhoods and are so iconic. Like when you find yourself on Sesame Street, like 
I mean, I know she's done some exciting things, but I bet that's up there with like a lot oh, for sure. Time. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. No, we have a framed picture of, of her and, and one of our kids on, on, on the set of Sesame Street framed picture in our house. <laughs> you know, talking about sort of the fervor with which Gateau um, sort of experienced the spiritual side of his life. I mean, <laughs> first of all, I think about all the things you just described and like unless you're an insane method actor, um, that's like a part you're not going to go see prostitutes and you're not going to, you know, take drugs to make you feel like you're bipolar, schizophrenic, yeah. et cetera. Um, but I do have to say, I mean, I shouldn't say you, you, you might've, I don't know what you did. To prepare, but <laughs> I, I contracted say, neurosyphilis. Yeah, it was great. You, know, you look amazing, but I do feel like somehow it was just incredible how you embodied this historical character um, and allowed us to see really, really why he felt he was justified and owed something. Um, mm -hmm. We felt tremendous compassion and sadness that things had gone this way in his life. And I felt like as a production, everyone just brought something. Their unique gifts were so perfectly paired with the roles that you guys were cast in. Um, it was a remarkable production. And who knows, maybe in the future, more people will get to see it, I hope. Oh, thank you. I mean, that'd be amazing. Thank you for those compliments. That's like the highest compliment that I love to receive is, is that you felt sympathy or empathy for the character, you know, regardless of whether he's quote unquote, the, the good guy or the bad guy. And, and uh, well, I saw you in Waitress and I feel like, you know, I saw it multiple times because there were multiple times I wanted to see it right. um and again like playing Earl I mean I wouldn't say Earl and Charles Gateau are the same guy but you are playing someone who the audience um you you need to bring the audience to you right yeah. you need to yeah. find a way to to bring empathy to the character and have us not form an opinion about you and tune out like right away like bad yeah. guy um, yeah Earl's kind of like that too, right? Yeah, just just people that make bad decisions and and uh, you know for whatever reason they've kind of stumbled into this this line of behavior and and our job as actors is to sort of advocate for them and understand why people do the things they do and you know as sad as it is people do terrible things for attention and people do get into abusive relationships and so you know that's our job is to to be as truthful about that stuff as we can. If you just start out kind of twisting your mustache and saying, I'm the bad guy, then that's not it at all. Well, can I see, I, I'd like to see that. Uh, my mustache is <laughs> not. So I can, I can I'm the literally bad no longer guy. Do it. Um, <laughs> I want to go back because the other connection, you know, you've been very open in, in reading about you and sort of part of your story is growing up very much in a family that was faith-based, uh, an yep. artistic family, a family that ran a theater, there's, you know, you grew up Mormon in yeah. Utah, and um, there's so much about that that I'm sure is um, informs your story as a human, right, to this day, regardless of whether you're practicing or not. Sure. Sure, sure. I mean, I guess everybody's story informs their work, um, <laughs> actor or not, and I don't know any different story. So, I mean, I've, I've certainly experienced a, a wide range of, uh, of life experiences, I'd say. Um, it does feel like a, a windy path that I've been on. So yeah. that's been helpful in my, in my uh, <laughs> endeavors to, to find interesting characters than, than uh, 
then that's fortuitous. <laughs> when did you come, you know, I grew up in New Jersey, so I just had to cross the George Washington Bridge to come to New York and start doing this in earnest. But Utah is, is um, it's far away, right? It's a very different. So what got you from Utah to here, to New York? Uh, well, I um, discovered that I had a little bit of a talent for this acting thing, and it was sort of was the family business, and I wasn't ever sure I was going to be an actor. I thought maybe someday I'd run the family theater. Um, but I, I got a scholarship to, to study theater. So I went to school at BYU in theater and then switched to musical theater because I discovered I could sing a little bit and it seemed like there were a lot more musicals than straight plays. So, so you weren't doing from, musicals growing up? You weren't singing? Um, not until high school. I did the high school musicals, but those were really the, the first ones that I did. I didn't really start. I didn't ever audition for a musical until I was 16 maybe um but then I did the high school musicals and then and then got I mean I, I was more interested in just being an actor when I like competed in high school and that kind of thing I was much more interested in being a gritty actor and I started college as a as a theater major and then switched over to musicals uh halfway through my college life and then I got my equity card at Disney World and uh and went there um and then I got a couple of tours and my first wife and I discovered that we were pregnant while we were on tour. And we thought, all right, it's the time to make our move. Let's go to New York so we don't have to drag a child around this country. So we moved to New York and, uh, and I've been here ever since. So you get here and what was your professional, like not professional, your Broadway debut? And how did that happen? <laughs> um, after about four years of kicking around and not getting uh, a Broadway show, I finally got um, Brooklyn, the musical, um, uh, to understudy the men, the male roles in that show and be a pit singer. And uh, oh my gosh, I cried buckets when I got my first Broadway show. And that's, I mean, Karen and Eden, I've had so many amazing people on this podcast uh, yep. who met and fell in love on that, on that stage, on doing that show. Yep. yep, I'm still pals with those girls to this day, yep. Well, they are amazing and, and sort of all they have done during the last couple of years to change the conversation and create conversations that probably wouldn't have happened as quickly without them um, is pretty extraordinary. We're talking uh -huh. about Karen Olivo and Eden Espinoza for the two people who aren't sure who we are <laughs> worshiping at the altar of for a moment. Um, you did 110 in the shade. And I'm not sure if that's where you met your wife, but I was looking at your resume other than just palling around New York. Um, is that how you guys met? It is. Yep. Yep. We did that show together and met there. What, when was that? That was 2007. You've been together a long time. Yeah. I mean, we weren't together right away. Um, our, our kids were the same age and we were doing play dates and she and I were both nursing kind of relationships that were failed or failing. And and uh, our kids got along well, and then we started to get along well, uh, and, and uh, we, we dated for quite a little while and then got married in uh, 2012. So I think it's safe to say that, you know, every world has its sort of, I mean, Michelle and Barack were a very exciting political couple, and right <laughs> now, J-Lo and Ben Affleck are getting a lot of our attention. Um, sure. But you guys are our own Broadway royalty. Um, 
Oh, do you that. feel, do you not feel that way? I mean, <laughs> how does it I feel? I feel like Audra is our queen and I'm sort of the, 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 the Duke of Sussex or something. Um, that's <laughs> the way the crown works. Is that um, something that when you first met her, because she's been queen for a very long time and I think <laughs> she was queen when you met her. Sure. And so you knew who she was. Yeah. yeah. Right? I knew what I was right? getting into. And also, like, she was the star of the show you were in. So even yep. if you hadn't known who she was before, like, if you were born the day you started that show, uh, <laughs> it would have been obvious. Um, were you anxious about that? Sure. I mean, it was it was uh, Audra McDonald. I mean, she's she's the, she's the queen. Um, yeah. And uh, totally intimidating to, to in a creative capacity. But what's nice is she's so kind and, and disarming that you just um, immediately you know, all of your uh, fears and inhibitions go away because she's just all about the work and, and anything that, that you might be scared of is, is just her uh, passion for, for finding the truth in, 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 the, in the show. And, and um, it just feels like, oh, we're just like these archeologists that are just discovering this great thing together. So, so uh, she is, uh, she's intense to work with, but, um, but so inspiring in the way that if you play with a better tennis player than you are, you get better because you're forced to. Well, I have to say that often during the pandemic, if I watched, you know, Stars in the House from very early on, you guys were on there supporting the Actors Fund, mm -hmm. among other things that you guys lent your literal voices to. And, mm -hmm. and it's funny because I was remembering that on one of them, maybe it was Rosie O'Donnell, I don't know, on one of those shows, you guys sang a song, um, a Neil Diamond song. And uh, do you remember that? Am I did it, Was it with Seth? Did we do You Don't Bring Me Flowers probably? Yes, yes, exactly, <laughs> exactly. And, and in a very like hilarious, committed way. Um, have you known for a long time, have you been workshopping this musical secretly for a long time, this Neil Diamond part? No. Um, okay. I think I had done uh, a reading book prior to the pandemic, but um, but uh, that, that wasn't the reason we chose that song. I, she and I had done that song long prior to me getting this this role ever. Um, I've just always kind of had this party trick of being able to do a good Neil Diamond impression. And um, so I've broken it out here and there at cabarets and, and concerts and whatnot now and then, because it's fun. Well, someone noticed, someone saw it, someone paid attention. Um, <laughs> so, Tell me about this show. Tell me what you know about it. What have you seen of it? Um, it's it's. Ugh, I'm so excited about it, and it's gonna hard. It's gonna be hard to not sound like I'm I'm tooting my own horn because I'm I'm the center of this show. But I'm so crazy about it. Um, you know, I, I won't dive too much into the 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 texture of it or, or how it's told, but I will just say that it's, it's told so creatively. Like I feel like with a, with a biographical musical and particularly with a songbook musical, it, it'd be really easy to just kind of do a paint by numbers. This was his life and these were his songs. And, 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 um, and uh, you know, we've, we've seen that show a bunch. And so I think the challenge these days is to figure out interesting and emotionally relevant ways to tell a uh, uh, story that that could be so sort of pedantic um, in the wrong hands, but Michael Mayer is directing it, and Stephen Hoggett is like the master of of movement and emotion and emotion through movement. He's our movement guy, and um, 
And then the book is incredible. It's it's written by Anthony McCartan. He's the guy that wrote the the screenplay for the movie Bohemian Rhapsody, among others. He's now doing the the Whitney Houston thing. So he's really excellent with capturing uh, people, bi biographies. Um, but he's a filmmaker, so he had no preconceived ideas about how musicals are made or structured. And he wrote this idea that if you were to read it, kind of you'd kind of go, I don't know how that's going to work on a stage. But yeah. Michael and Stephen are such geniuses that they have just this arsenal of, of, uh, of arrows in their creative quiver and they have made it work. And it's told so artfully and emotionally. It's told from a really emotional standpoint. And, um, and it's just the last thing you would expect to, to, to experience watching the Neil Diamond musical. And uh, I just, I think it's so beautifully told and I, I, going through it as we were doing our last workshop, I had a hard time not just breaking down and crying at, at, by the end of it because it's so, so moving and I just couldn't be more excited about it. That's amazing. You have, as a family, four kids? Four altogether, yep. Right? Yep, yep. So, and you are both working parents in a field that mostly it's nighttime work. If you're in the theater, you uh, both do, you know, you both film things as well. So how, I mean, how do you, how do you guys make decisions about <laughs> who does what? Is it, do you take turns? Do you go, we'll work it out, whatever happens? Like, how do you handle parenting work and the kind of craziness of not quite uh, knowing when things are going to show up? Oh my gosh, it's really hard. Um, mm -hmm. You know, there's a whole lot of communication and that's the best part um, is understanding, you know, we, we would love to take every show in the world. I, I'm acting like people throw shows at me and they don't, but- But, <laughs> but one, when they one, do. <laughs> um, one sort of thing that we try to stick by is we try to take as little out of town work as we can. Um, we try to, to take, uh, shows that are in town or that go out of town for relatively small amounts of time to be able to come back in town. Um, and, and if we can help it at all, uh, only, only TV work that's here. Um, if we can help it, if, you know, and, and when, and when we have to work out of town, we, we make it work. Um, we have lots of little planning meetings where we sit down and just go, okay, I'd love to do this. Can we pull that off that, that, you know, it's hard. Uh, we have lots of help. Audra's mom lives next door to us um, in Westchester County, and she's she steps in, and then we've got a, a great babysitter, and 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 um, and you know between it's just it's a it's a massive juggling act that that we sometimes pull off and we sometimes kind of don't, but uh, mm -hmm. <laughs> but we we make massive efforts to be present for our kids, and uh, I mean Audra literally flew back and forth across the country every weekend when she was shooting private practice to to be here to be with our kids um so that they just knew that she was present and um you know we just try to be as as present as we can and and our kids also understand that it's what we do for a living and there are sacrifices and there are also benefits and you know right. now they can go to college <laughs> that's right and sometimes <laughs> yeah. you're home a lot right i mean yeah. it just depends there's also yeah. like tremendous um time together that people don't have um yeah. You know, when you're in a play, do you travel back to Westchester every night? Uh, it totally depends. We have a crash pad in the city. So, um, you know, 
if if we can uh, stay in the city, particularly like on a Tuesday night, if there's a matinee the next day, it doesn't yeah. make a ton of sense to trek up to Westchester and back. So, you know, often we'll stay in the city Tuesday night and then do the matinee Wednesday and then come home Wednesday night, Thursday night, and then Friday night, stay in the city kind of a thing um, to just minimize the time on the road. Um, and then it depends on school schedules and where kids are um, with four kids. And at one time we had uh, four kids in three different schools on separate mornings. So it was tough getting oh kids to yeah. schools. And, and, um, and now we've got four kids in four different schools because they're old enough. We have college kids. That's how old we are. But Wow. And they're all back in school now. I mean, during COVID, yeah. everyone was Zooming. And yep. I feel like for many of us, there was something really incredible of having stolen time with our kids under the uh -huh. worst set of circumstances. But suddenly, <laughs> um, I didn't mind, you know, not having to wake up early and get them out of the house super early. There was something really nice about everyone yep. being here. There, I, I don't know if this was something you were used to growing up. I know that you were in an acting family. I don't know what everyone's kind of vocal as singers talent level was, but is it pretty incredible to kind of, I mean, I talked about seeing you guys singing together so much and you guys do concerts together. What is it like to sing and harmonize with someone you love so much? <laughs> um, it's the greatest. It's the greatest. I mean, music is what, what we do when we can't communicate our thoughts anymore with words. We just, to take it to a higher level, we, we, it, it evolves into song and music and, um, and I just happened to be married to the, the most beautiful voice on the planet. And, um, and, you know, harmonizing with that voice feels like a privilege every time. Um, and to watch her be musical with our children is also a beautiful, beautiful thing. Just, she's so amazing how she'll kind of sing along with our kids and then she'll just gently start to harmonize. And then because their ears aren't ready for that, they'll kind of try to drift to her and she'll go back and start to sing the melody again and just, just, I'm just amazed watching her sort of just give this musical education to our kids that they didn't realize they were getting. But then all of a sudden, one day they have amazing pitch and they play instruments and harmonize. And it's just like very, very uh, fortunate situation. So the Vaughn McSwenson family singers will be performing <laughs> at a oh. theater near you. Um, <laughs> Um, I just want to say that, you know, it was very thrilling seeing you in hair. I brought my 80 something year old mother at the time. You performed very closely to her. It was very <laughs> exciting having you in the aisle. Um, she will never forget it. Neither will I. Um, I hope I wasn't hair, inappropriate. Um, you were not inappropriate because that is exactly what Berger was supposed to do. And you were doing your job beautifully. Um, that show, we talked about Hanky earlier, who, who was in it in the park with you. Um, uh -huh. I feel like you got to do that show in all of its stages as it went from like concert to yeah. yellow court, right? To yep. Broadway. Yeah, that, um, can you just name for people some of the people that were in that show and what it meant to you to do that show, aside from the Tony nomination, which probably felt great when it happened. Maybe <laughs> oh scary. I don't know. The whole, the whole experience was incredible. Um, it started out just as this concert in the park that the public was doing. And I somehow managed to, to land this role. 
but um, in the concert, it was me and Karen Olivo and Jonathan Groff and Bettina Miller and, uh, you know, Bryce Rhinus and Darius Nichols and Casey Sheik and uh, just, uh, I'm, you know, and 27 other amazing, talented folks. Um, and that concert went very well. And so they wanted to bring it back to the park the next summer. But by that point, Karen Olivo had gotten West Side Story. Uh, so Karen Lin-Manuel came in and played that part. And Jonathan was busy becoming a movie star. Um, uh, so Jonathan did part of the run and then Chris Hankey had to take over for the rest of that run. Um, and that was amazing. Um, and then, you know, that went well. And then we went to Broadway and Broadway's own Gavin Creel came in to play Claude. Um, and Casey Levy came in to play Sheila. Um, cause everybody else was, you know, moving on to other projects, but, um, you know, we just ended up with this incredible, it was a dream team every single time we did it, but it just felt like a, like a special stolen season, um, to tell that story when we told it and how we told it. And yeah. then we got to move it over to London and do it on the West end. And uh, it just, it, it got more, more special every time we did it. Cause it was different every time we did it. It was just, it was incredible. Incredible. What was it like doing it in London versus New York? I mean, I know this is a while ago now, but, but I imagine we feel such ownership of that, of that <laughs> show for all the reason, you know, I mean, what was going on in our country was such a catalyst yeah. for that show. What was it like doing it there? Did you have to change anything so that they understood sort of? We didn't change any, anything. Um, okay. None However, of the lyrics or none of the. Nope. Nope. Um, but it, it's a it's a particularly American sort of story, you know, as far as the draft and Vietnam and, and our relationship to, to war is just a different relationship than the Brits have. And and audiences are different there as well. You know, um, we kind of went over with our swagger and our in your face um, energy and right. the British audiences were uh kind of <laughs> flabbergasted by by us uh, putting our ourselves in their seats so so quickly so we discovered that we had to play it a little differently and and very much more let them come to us at the top of the show and by the end they screamed louder than the the american audiences um but so you we would just still go be... into the audience absolutely as part of the staging of it and we dance would we just and, wouldn't yeah. be as kind of aggressively in your face at the top of the show we just it was a much slower burn to kind of uh, uh, let them come to us and, and uh, let, let it develop more slowly. Well, I know that you have a lot going on in your house right now. You have children and, and, and a lot to learn for this new show <laughs> that you're working on. I just want to say that you are just such a bright light in our community, oh not just because of your beautiful talent and it is extraordinary, but you have really um, put your time into so many incredible organization that helps so many people. And I feel like you're the kind of person who, when you're asked to show up, you just say yes, um, with such generosity and you're such a leader in that way. And oh I goodness, thank you, thank you um, for that heart, that talent and that heart. It's really an astonishing thing. So oh, that's very kind of you to say, I wish I could show up to more uh, asks, but thank you. Thank you. So before I let you go, is there a little known fact about you that you can share? <laughs> sure. Um, I'm, I'm making maple syrup today from the trees in my backyard. <laughs> You're lying. You're lying I'm to not, us. 
I'm not. It's such a random thing. But every time I, uh, we, we live up in Westchester and we have a, this great little meadow next to us and we have these huge maple trees. And I was like, you know, we should tap these. How do we, and it turns out it's very easy to do. Um, and so I tapped these maple trees three years ago. And now it's like my favorite thing to do in the spring is to tap these trees and then boil down the sap into maple syrup. So that's what I've been doing today. Okay, that's incredible. Um, <laughs> next time you're out there, check for oil. Um, right, right. See what, <laughs> see what else you could find. Um, Will Swenson, what a joy to get to talk to you today. I cannot wait. I think Broadway Records is producing the uh, cast album for Assassins. Am I remembering yes. correctly? Yeah. So that is how people at home are going to get to hear that. But is there a place, like, do you have a website? Is there a place where people can find everything about you? Oh, no. Just I need Google. to get on that. Just Google. I guess just Google. I, I think I'm going to get a website together one of these days. Uh, some, see, somebody stole my domain name. Like, I had one years ago, and then I let it lapse for, like, a month, and somebody stole willswenson.com. And I don't want to pay like a thousand dollars to get it back. That just seems dumb. So maybe I'll do willswenson.org or something. Anyway, I'm going to do it. Thanks for the reminder. <laughs> you know what you can do? The real Will Swenson. Because you are the real Will Swenson. I'm really <laughs> mad that somebody did that. That's rude. Um, it's rude. You are not rude. Anyway, have a great time. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. Thank you, Alana. Real All pleasure right. to speak with you. One more thing. So many of you have asked, how do you donate to the podcast? Well, it could not be easier. Just go to littleknownfactspodcast.com slash donations. Instructions are clearly laid out. And I'm so grateful to you in advance for any donation you choose to make. But regardless, I have loved, loved, loved making the previous 200 and something episodes for you. I can't wait to make 200 more. I wish you a beautiful day. Stay healthy. Be safe. Until next time. Clouds can make the wind blow. Bugs can make the grass grow. So, there you go. These are little known facts that now you know. This episode of Little Known Facts was edited by Nicholas Klar. We record in New York City. The Little Known Facts theme song was written and recorded and sung by Georgia Famusa with backup vocals by Caleb Famusa. Thank you.